It is, um, it's tradition on this day, it's tradition to greet one another with a special greeting in Christendom. Um, this is the most important day in Christendom. Uh, Christians all over the world, millions, billions, uh, will be celebrating this day um, and its significance to us um, in the, as Christ followers. Um, the Apostle Paul pointed out in 1 Corinthians 15 that if there, was no, if there was no resurrection, there would kind of be no point in this whole Christianity thing. It's that important. It's that significant. So as we celebrate that, we remember that today millions and billions of Christians will be celebrating Easter together. <clears throat> the Orthodox, the Catholic, the Charismatic, the Evangelicals, um, all of us who just may disagree on many, many other aspects of what it means to be a Christian and certainly what it means to live as a Christian, we all agree to this um, idea. We always recognize the truth of this celebration. There is, in fact, a king. It's not any earthly power. It's not a president or a tyrant or a prime minister or a worldly king. More importantly, this power isn't you, and it isn't me, um, and it isn't sin, and apparently it isn't even death. There is a royal person, the king of the eternal kingdom, which we'll be talking about this whole sermon. We are proclaiming his victory and his dominion and his love for us and his obedience to the Father when we proclaim he is risen. risen Amen. It's hard to believe that last year as we were slogging through a pandemic, um, we dove into Peter's first letter, um, and the year before that, as we were going through Daniel, um, we started a ser- sermon series on Daniel about living in exile and uh, a pandemic hit. In fact, two, if you can imagine, it was two Easter's ago that just a handful of us gathered in our cars trying to listen on our radios as we sang some hymns together, um, that, that the service in here just didn't happen. And it was, it's shocking to consider that was just two years ago, and here we are. Um, <clears throat> and then we got into First Peter, which was First Peter was written um, by the Apostle Peter to believers scattered throughout the world at the time who were beginning to face very real persecution. It was really just getting started first financially and culturally, and then eventually even physically, legally, that type of persecution. Since finishing First Peter, we've been looking at Peter's second letter, which seemed appropriate to wrap that up. It has a much different tone. So if you've been coming um, since the beginning of this year, you've been hearing us uh, unpack almost line by line and phrase by phrase Peter's second letter. Um, This has, again, I said a different tone, a different direction he's taking this time. This letter is still meant to guard Christ followers, but this time it's really by helping them guard their understanding of the gospel their knowledge and their understanding, what it really is. What is this good news thing that Christianity is all about? What is this gospel that Jesus came to proclaim? By helping us bring our knowledge and our lives, therefore, into alignment with what Christ taught Peter when they traveled together for three years. Now Peter's writing this stuff down probably 30 or 40 years later. And so I'm going to pick up all the way back, because I know many of you probably haven't been here. Um, in fact, this may be a good refreshing thing for you that, um, that this Sunday, you may be thinking to yourself, man, it always seems to me like every time I go to church, the preacher's either talking about the birth of Jesus Christ or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That may have more to do with when you're coming to church than anything else. Uh, so it, it may be that you want to kind of stick with this a few weeks in a row, because there's all kinds of cool things we get to talk about other than just those two. Um, and so I'm going to read through, we'll continue through Second Peter till we're done, which, you know, knowing us will take most of a year. 
um, at least. So in 2 Peter, I'm going to catch you up. 2 Peter 1, I'm going to read 1 through 15, um, and then get us to where we are uh, today. Chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up and follow along. Um, it will be on the screens. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you still want to check, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab those and pull them out. If you don't own a Bible, grab one of, one of those in front of you and just take it home with you. That's our gift to you. And if you want a cooler, better one or a specific one, let us know. We'll get that for you too. Um, <clears throat> here we are. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Deep breath. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, this is verse 11, this is where we're going to focus all of our attention this morning, is on verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can see why it worked out perfectly that we would camp on this verse on Easter Sunday. So I'll read it again and then wrap up the, this little section. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, to wrap up, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The very words of God. This is a reminder. As we look at this letter, this is a key letter in understanding who Peter is. This is, Peter apparently sees this letter as something of a deathbed letter. This is, this is the, the panicked, most important, as, as uh, I think Paul said last Sunday or the Sunday before, he's gotten the diagnosis. Jesus has let him know, you're not long for this world. And Peter's like, oh my gosh, I still got some things to say. So he gets out a pen and he starts writing. Now, years ago, when I was first starting the opportunity to speak and learn to speak uh, in front of people, I was really fascinated by a speaker named Tony Campolo. So some of you have, have heard of Tony Campolo. You've heard him speak. He's a brilliant and gifted communicator. Um, I disagree with a lot of, Tony Camp what, a lot of what Tony Campolo says, um, both theologically and certainly politically. In fact, pretty much everything that he says politically. But he makes me think, he makes me dive into Scripture, and he's a very talented communicator. Years ago, he did a talk that was one of my favorites as a young man that was based on a study, a study of 50 people over the age of 95. 
So they found 50 people over the age of 95, and they asked them this question. What would you do differently if you could do it over again? There's some insight going to come out of that, isn't there? Here they are. It turns out there were really only three answers that came when they funneled it down, filtered it down. There were really just three answers. Number one, the people said, I would reflect more. I would stop, and I would think, and I would consider, and I would be aware of what was going on. I would recognize the truth of where I am and who I'm with and make sure that that's where I'm investing, that I'm focusing. It's amazing to consider a sermon that Tony Campolo did 30 years ago or more. He references the phrase, most people are absent even when they are present. And there weren't any cell phones yet. That was already a problem. It's only gotten worse. Some of you may remember he references the play Our Town um, which I went to look up just to see and to see how it would inspire me. But the play Our Town, in which a main character is able to go back and, and re-experience one day of her life. And so she goes back and, and sits and watches this day go, but she panics. There's a beautiful monologue written that I won't cite. Um, uh, but, but she panics because she realizes everything is speeding past all these people, and they don't realize it. They don't see what's going on. At one point, and I can imagine our children saying this to us, the main character, Emily Webb, in the play says, Oh, Mama, look at me one minute as though you really saw me. It's, it's hard for us to remember to be in that moment, to be aware of that moment. Now, I, I, this is attempt number three. So, <clears throat> one of my favorite comedians in all time is a guy named Stephen Wright. Some of you may know who Stephen Wright is. I hope you do. If you do, you're probably from my generation. Stephen Wright just throws out little monologue statements. One of my favorite of Stephen Wright's is this, and this, this is, captures this for me, of being in the moment, is that he says when someone asks him, how are you feeling? He says, you know that moment when you're leaning back in your chair and you lean back just a little bit too far and you start tipping backwards and then at the very last possible second you catch yourself? I feel like that all the time. <laughs> well, it's still nothing. Like, it just wasn't good. That's over. I think it's over. a little better than the other two. I set it up better, but... So that's apparently funny just to me, it turns out. Um, like out of, out of now several hundred people, uh, yeah. There you go. Um, out with the Stephen Wright's quotes for the future. Note that. Okay. On that note, number, number two was, so number one was reflect more. Number two was risk more. Was to risk more, not being afraid to look foolish. We're so hemmed in by our fears of failure that we refuse to risk. We play it safe. You cannot truly have friends without risking the terrifying vulnerability of rejection. So most people don't have friends. They really just don't. You certainly cannot have intimacy without risking radical honesty. Unless you're willing to be radically honest with someone, you will never truly know them and you will never truly be known by them. We will never probably partake in the peace that is beyond understanding, that is offered to us as a gift, without a faith that seems just as ridiculous. We must step out in risk, in risk of faith to trust God and to trust one another and to trust Him in hard situations and in scary situations to get out and live an abundant, meaningful life is so important a part of this. This is part of the legacy of Scripture. We've already seen how, how Peter has referenced the Zoe life, the meaningful, abundant, godly life. And he refers to godliness in the midst of that, which is the kind of life that God has created for us, an extraordinary life. That's what we're called to. 
This, anytime I think about this idea, this kind of Christian version of the carpe diem mindset, of seizing the day, of counting the cost, these, these things strike me. One of the quotes is by a guy named G.K. Chesterton that always comes to my mind in his book, Orthodoxy. You may have heard of him. He wrote the uh, Father Brown Mysteries. Many people are, are aware of those. He was an English writer and philosopher in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Here's the quote that I always think of. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut his way out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely wait for death, then he would be a suicide and will not escape. He must not merely cling to life, for then he'll be a coward and will not escape. He must seek out his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire life like water, yet drink death like wine. No philosopher, I fancy, has ever expressed this romantic riddle with adequate lucidity, and I certainly have not done so, but Christianity has done more. Part of the message of the fundamental message of Christianity is that we can risk when others can't. We have a solid foundation of life eternal, and we can take risks, even relationship risks, even career risks, whatever, even missional risks, because we know that, yeah, it, we could end up dead, which is only to our advantage. As the Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ. That's my job while I'm here. It is Christ and his kingdom. If I die, well, that's an, that's an advance, right? I just, I just get ahead. So finally, so one, reflect more and then risk more. And the third was do more to live on after I am gone. Do more that will live on after I'm gone. Now, I'm going to get into the passage here. This is what's going to bring us straight to verse 11. They meant a legacy. They talked about this idea of that once I had died, I need to know that I mattered. I need to go to my death knowing that I will not be forgotten, that I will leave something that will last beyond me. This week, my daughter uh, Ellie and I were, were hanging out and talking about life, what motivates us, what matters to us, um, what motivates people in general. And what we realized is we want people to have meaning, a meaningful life, an abundant life. However, we don't merely want people to have a meaningful life. I want you to hear that. Here in this church, we want you to have a meaningful life. That's part of the gospel. But we don't merely want you to have a meaningful life. We want you to have an eternal life. This is what Peter is, is writing to us about. Everything has been building to this verse. Verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can see why we decided not to jump away from 2 Peter for Easter. Why we didn't, when this was the verse we were at, that we were hitting just as we got here to Easter to think, well, there's no reason to leave Second Peter to go talk about what Jesus has done to purchase eternal life for us. This verse is a culmination of that. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, especially if this is your first Sunday here with us or in a while, the first question would be, in what way? For in this way, well, what way is that? Is it merely the behavioral list that we read through? Maybe you noticed that. Faith, knowledge, virtue, steadfastness, self-control, godliness, friendship, and sacrificial love. That was the list that Peter gave earlier. Will mere behaviors purchase for us eternal life? Now, especially if you've not been to church in a while, or if you grew up in a church similar to the one I grew up in as a young child, now would be the time when the pastor goes into the behavioral modification part of the sermon. Now is when I would go into the, listen, you just need to do more better. 
If you would just do more better, then Jesus won't have his feelings hurt at you anymore, and he might let you into heaven. That you're going to have a good resume when you show up there and you hand the Apostle Peter, I don't know exactly where that comes from, but why you're going to hand the Apostle Peter your resume and go, this is why you should let me in. I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's the gospel. I don't think that's the good news of Jesus Christ. I think his good news for us is an identity change, not a behavioral change merely. An identity change, of course, results in some behavioral change, at least it ought to, but that's not the way that it works. It doesn't work the other way. Is it possible that that's what Peter means by the way? It just seemed unlikely to me as we looked at it. This would fly in the face of the gospel that Peter has presented in the entirety of 1 Peter and so far in 2 Peter. So behavioral modification. So our idea um, when we were doing the podcast on Tuesday morning, Paul and I were, were diving into this passage and we we're going, okay, so let's start working our way back. Let's find the actual subject of this, of this phrase for in this way. So in, in what way? Well, for in this way implies you got to look back. Anytime you see a for or a because or whatever, you got to look backwards. So we went back to verse 10. Well, the problem is verse 10 says, for if you practice, and even worse, it has a therefore. And if you've grown up in a Baptist church, you, if there's one rule you know about the Bible, you know that if you see a therefore, you need to figure out what it's therefore. <laughs> yeah, isn't that? It's just funnier every time. For if these... <laughs> Now, the problem is you go down, so, okay, well, what's that there for? You go back to the start of the thought before that, and it turns out it's verse 8, which begins, for if these. Okay, so you got to go back. And so you go back to verse 5, which is the beginning of that thought, which says, for this reason. And so you go back to verse 4, which says, by which. So you got to go back. It turns out these series of clauses lead us all the way back to 2 Peter 1.3, which says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is the way. His divine power has granted us to all things. <clears throat> it turns out, no big surprise, He is the way. That actually was the name of Christianity before it was called Christianity was the way. Followers of the way, that's what we were. The way of Him, His divine power, and what that grants to us. And remember, you'll remember the word grant there is to give a gift that he grants to us. And Peter wants our entrance into the eternal kingdom to be experienced richly. So not just that we get there, but that we get there richly. This probably creates, uh, should create an image for us of like a parade um, in the Roman era that, that Peter is writing in when a, when a general, a victorious general entered into the city. He did so richly, opulently with, with, with servants and, and, with, and, and, and fireworks and, 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 I don't know, like Prince Ali entering into, you know, whatever the city that was, right? With, we, we don't need to sing or anything, but that's the, from the original, you remember the original Aladdin, the good one, the one that was just cartoon? Like that's a, like that whole picture that you would, that's what you should be picturing here. And he says, richly, surely, here, Peter is referencing the Apostle Paul's teaching from the letter to the Corinthians. Now, I don't know if that weirds you out like it does me. I get weirded out when I think about the apostles reading one another's works. I don't know why that weirds me out. It just kind of, there's kind of a strange feeling of like, did they do that? Like they knew each other, they read each other's stuff. We're going to find by the end of 2 Peter that absolutely Peter read Paul's stuff. And Peter sometimes had a hard time understanding it, apparently, which I think we can all identify with. So, so here we get this. It's, it's the same emotion, by the way. I don't know about you guys. It's the same emotion I used to get as a kid when I would see my teacher somewhere other than school. You remember that emotion when you would see the teacher somewhere else? Like, wait, you're not. You're why aren't you at school? Like, it's it's the look I get from your kids when they see me out somewhere. It's like, wait, they they you should be at church. 
They let you out. They shouldn't let you out. That's probably what you're thinking too. So here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 3.10, what he says to the Corinthians. He's encouraging them, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here we go. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, I do think, <coughs> I do think the Apostle Paul is intentionally being a little tongue-in-cheek here with this reference. I think that's meant to be a little bit funny. The idea, so one, it is a motivator to, to understand this concept. See, eternal life, the eternal life of the kingdom that Christ has for us begins now. You don't wait till death to start eternal life. Eternal life begins at the new citizenship change. That it, starts, it starts now. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, here's the cool thing is, you, you say, well, you can't take it with you. Well, that's not true. Some things you can take with you. The things that survive the fire of God's judgment will enter into eternity with you. Now, again, I get this, why this is such a strange motivator. You're going, but I mean, but I get to go, right? I mean, I, I, I'm saved, right? I mean, I've got a right relationship with God, right? Yes, that is the gift given to us. What this implies is we have the opportunity to live an abundant, full life, investing in eternity now. Investing in things that last forever now. That's the opportunity that we have. And those things that survive into eternity, the things that survive for the rest of our lives, that is one what gives our life meaning now, and we get to take it with us. It's a beautiful picture, and there's even on top of that, there's this cool kind of reward that comes with that. Even it's as simple as God going, man, well done. Well done. You did a good job. You were faithful to what I asked you to do. I mean, I mean, you messed it up like you did everything else, but well done. Good effort. I'm so proud of you. Remember, he's that, he's that proud dad who's crazy about us. Jesus unpacks this also. They're all taking this from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, I think. This is what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth <coughs> where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the obvious question is, okay, great, I got it. Now, how do I set up treasures in heaven? I mean, I can't wire it ahead. I can't like write a check and put Santa's address on it and mail it off or something, and, and it's waiting for me when I get there. Well, I think it's clear what Jesus is saying, and you invest in his kingdom now. You invest in the things that are going to last forever. And there's really only a few things that last forever. Um, both services so far, someone has guessed taxes. That's, that's not a right answer. Um, I know it feels that way sometimes. They last only to death. Then, then they, they stop. Um, what, are some, what are the things that last forever? Okay. God and his virtue, God's word, and one another, right? 
That's what lasts forever. God, the virtues that he exemplifies in this passage, and one another, and his word. Those are the things that last forever. Those are eternal. When we invest in those things, we are investing in his kingdom, and those things last forever, and that eternal life can start today. Where those, those, those interests, that principle begins to pile up today, and it starts piling up at this point. Now, you may have also noticed, in fact, I've, I've referenced it a couple of times. Let's go back to verse 11 again. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may have noted immediately that this verse uses an intriguing term for this concept of a heavenly afterlife. Quote, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus spent most of his time on earth, especially the first few years, traveling around Galilee and talking about his kingdom. This was the model for the Christian life, was this idea of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. All the Gospels reference this in one way or another, but in Matthew's version, it says this. Matthew describes it this way in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This concept is so important to the entire picture of what it means to live as a Christian, that we're investing in a forever kingdom now. That our citizenship changes. And for the rest of our lives, not just the rest of our lives on earth, the rest of our eternal lives, we're investing in a forever kingdom as eternal citizens of that kingdom. That's the picture. It's the picture. He, it's, it's not in order to, to earn something. It's because this is who we are. We live freely within the truth of who we are. This is the plan. It's so important. Given this understanding, recognize this eternal kingdom understanding, what we look around and see in this room, what we come to on Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever we gather together, we are coming to an embassy. So this is a place where it's exactly the opposite maybe of how many of us were raised, where it's like, this is the show. I mean, y'all are the spectators, and there's going to be a show on stage. The ministers are going to put on a show for us as we're spectators. That is not the biblical picture at all. Those who you've hired as staff members, all we are now coaches and equippers. Now, like all good coaches and equippers, we like to play too. We've got some pickup games of ministry on our own. But the main game, our job is to now equip you to do the ministry of the gospel, as it teaches in Ephesians 4. This is, the, this is the huddle. It's kind of the holy huddle is here. This is the embassy where we get to live according to the rules of the kingdom where we belong. The game happens when we leave. When we get off of here, then we become, well, the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Not subtle. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's why we can come here, and this is where we're supposed to let our hair down. This isn't supposed to be where we're supposed to have everything all together. That's hard enough. That's hard enough out there. Here, we can, we, this is where we actually can live according to the truth of our identity, without fear. That's what church, is, is, I really think, is meant to be. It's a place where we don't have to have it all together, where we don't have to be perfect, where we don't have to be scrubbed clean, and we don't have to put on our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. Like we don't, all of those things become things that, that are part of us as individuals, how we're going to live that out with one another. But man, the thought of coming to church so that you can put on a performance for one another and compete with one another, that is not right. 
In fact, I also got to add this to the, this kingdom mindset. Another thing that this changes. So Mark and I were talking about this this week. The other thing that this changes is this. I Listen, I am a patriot. You guys know me, know that I'm a patriot. And I love when we get to honor um, veterans and soldiers, men and women who have sacrificed and served. Um, I love when people are involved in our political system, when they're engaged and serving, running for office like Nathan is, and, or, or all the different things that we've got going on. I love that. I love my country. I'm super proud to be an American. At the same time, understand that the, that, that the main job of a Christian is not to save America. That's not our main job. Our main job is to invest and expand the kingdom. Now, if America gets on board with that, and we pray that it does, we want to see a revival sweep across our nation and that the alignment come back to where the, the, the nation of America comes more in alignment with the kingdom of heaven. That'd be great. I'd love it. But understand, that's weird. That's only happened like a few times in all of history, and often it costs us when it does happen. This is something that, that we have to remember. Our main job, our faith is not in our political system, as good as it may be. Our faith is not in our nation, as blessed as we may be. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and what he's done and the kingdom that he has established. That's our fundamental identity. That's primary and first. This gift he's bestowed on us, it is definitionally important. This is his gift to us, an identity as citizens in an eternal kingdom, a better one. A citizenship that Jesus Christ our Lord purchased for us by paying off our debt, by drinking to the last dregs the just wrath against sin. We should hate sin, and he does too. So to pay that off, he died in our place and then calmly stepped out of the grave to show us that resurrection into an eternal hope is actually a thing. This is significant. It was a historical moment where it happened. First Peter, Peter references us back in the first letter that we studied in chapter 1, verse 3, starts this way. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You can go back and see when we unpacked that. This is an offer that he has for us, each of us, every single human he created in his image has the opportunity as his treasure to join into this good gift that he offers. In his first letter, we saw that the Apostle Peter connected this experience to baptism. Now, this makes sense. It clearly is meant to be a representation of that. It is a declaration of an identity change. It's a change in our citizenship of our alignment, of what team we're on. And that's what is significant about it. And, and this morning, we're going to get to have, uh, Jeff is going to be baptizing his son, Casey. Why don't you go ahead and come on up and, and get ready. Um, this picture, you're going to get to see it. If you've not gotten to see it before, you're going to get to see this picture of, of uh, as, as Cason experiences, along with his Savior, the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I'm going to turn it over to them and let them, uh, let them do their stuff and be, give us this testimony and this example. Um, we're so proud of you guys. And uh, then we'll close out. Go ahead. Thanks, Jeff. First and foremost, praise God. This is twice now that I've been able to call my son a brother in Christ. What a gift. And just uh, want to encourage everyone in this church uh, to join alongside Krista and I uh, as we continue this walk in Kaysen's new faith and accountability and pointing him to the gospel and continue to point him to Christ in his new walk. So thank you. 
Kaysen chose uh, out of Psalm 46, which how relevant and accurate for us as a refuge and fortress in these times. Uh, verse number 10, and I'll share that with you now. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Son, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ by baptism into death and raised to walk and into the soul. Thank you, Jeff and Kaysen, for this example. We're, we're passionately um, believe and, and embrace the idea that Jesus' instruction, his great commission to, to go and make disciples, and while doing so to teach and baptize, that that's not just for professional Christians only. Um, we, we've now gotten to have several baptisms. In fact, uh, Saturday night, Juna and Charlie Mullins were baptized by their dad, Jeremy. Lillian was baptized by her dad, Aaron. This morning in first service, Kendall Teoker was baptized by her dad, Jeff. Catherine uh, Reese was baptized by her dad, Kyle, and Jackson Teague was baptized by his dad, Ryan, and then Jeff baptizing uh, Kaysen. It is, it is the testimony that we love seeing that it is the ambition of all believers to baptize people, not just the paid Christians. And so we're excited that we get to be a part of that and have the example. Thank you, guys. Um, baptism itself alone cannot save you. Um, otherwise, being dunked by your little brother in the pool when you were a kid, would have, uh, that would have gotten you saved. It is, the, it is the right relationship with Jesus Christ, the recognition and acceptance of that he has purchased this for us. He has done this thing that in this historical moment, as he lived and died, and as we celebrate was raised from the dead, um, this was when he purchased eternity, a citizenship into the eternal kingdom. Um, why did Peter write this second letter? He has a very important point to make. If you will, stand with me, and I want to give the invitation. So our, we do an invitation here, not just out of tradition, but because we, we live under the assumption that God's Word is working in our lives, and that we have a response. We are you're being invited to make a response. The invitation to you may be you, you're invited to come and pray. You can pray here, and we know the position of our body kind of affects the position of our soul. And so it may help you to kneel and pray. It may be that you need to go back to the back corner over there, a prayer corner, and pray with somebody who's back there about anything, anything going on in your life. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never accepted this free gift that he offers, and you've never become a citizen of this eternal kingdom. We would love to celebrate that with you today. What a perfect day for it, um, for Easter to celebrate that. Maybe you've been through our welcome home team uh, process and you've met Lance and some of the others and you're ready to come and join this dysfunctional family. Um, if that's the case, we would invite you to, uh, to do that as well. Um, you may know there may be someone around you that you say, listen, I, don't, I want to put my faith in Christ, but I don't need to go up there to the preacher man. I know my friend here, my family member here, they know Jesus. And I'll ask them to pray with me and that'd be awesome. Um, we'd love to hear about that at some point. Um, we're, we're super proud to be here all together. I want you to hear that this is, this is Peter's point. As we, in, as we are in this time of invitation, listening to what the Spirit has for us, each of us, here's Peter's point, knowing that his death is imminent, knowing that there is an eternal kingdom and he wants you to be part of starting that now and forever, he explains this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. 
I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me the very words of God.